And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bub and the Bloom, episode 91. Going to do part two of our baseball HQ forecaster preview, meet the some of the contributors to the wonderful baseball Bible, as I call it. Uh, and I'm not the only one that calls it that. But we'll uh, we'll have a couple guests on, but we won't have them together. We'll have them separate because they have two different niches, niche, niches of the uh, the group here. Um, but first off, you can find me on Twitter at BDN, check the podcast at Bubba Bloom Pod, and my co-host, as always, at on Twitter at Ryan bhq bloomfield how we doing my friend long time no see it's been all of 12 hours since (laughs) since part one uh thanks again to alan and corbin yesterday for their their contributions and their show that was fun looking forward to today with uh misters blessing and cruise so uh doing well man yep good good it'll be a blast and uh, you you hinted at it there so let's meet our first guest on the show he is the Baseball HQ Director of Prospect Analysis. I've had him on bench with Bubba before. He does amazing prospect work over there at Baseball HQ. You can find him on Twitter at C underscore Blessing. Chris Blessing, how you doing, my friend? Doing well, man. Uh, just got back from Arizona. I was telling you guys, uh, was at the first pitch uh, hotel uh, two nights ago. Uh, missing all the first pitch people. It was uh Bizarre not being there when baseball's going on. Were there any any spare beer cans still lying around from first pitch? Or Actually, any, any no. Was high noon still? No, still, and still I stayed. I stayed away from the podcast room because I know uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was a dangerous place uh, this year. It'll it'll never be the same. That room. Yeah, there's, there's just there's caution tape on the door probably still, and they're just gonna call it good for now. Hazmat suits required. Um, yeah, yeah, that was a wild one. Wild one this year. That's for sure. But uh, let's get into some uh, get to know Chris stuff here before we talk about the forecaster. So uh, we know, but let's let the listeners know how long have you been uh, at HQ and what else do you do writing for HQ besides just the forecaster? Started writing in 2009, uh, started HQ in 2015, uh, uh, basically going to the ballpark, scouting a bunch of guys. Uh, it's what I've kind of done my whole time. I transitioned over to fantasy in 2014. Uh, I feel like I'm still, uh, um, you know, a little bit behind the eight ball because I do come from a scouting background. Uh, most of the people in this genre that I'm in come from a fantasy background. So it's been interesting helping them out and they've helped me out at the same time. Uh, I also write um, the associate editor of uh, the minor league baseball analyst, uh, which has a huge deadline coming up uh, this weekend. So very exciting. A lot of writing to do uh, probably starting tomorrow because I'm absolutely exhausted today and would not make sense. I also uh, host the um, eyes have it podcast. Uh, I'm going to come back for, I think fourth year uh, Brent's uh, Brent Hershey, our, um, our boss uh, is the um, co-host, uh, but he's actually going to scale back a little this year. And we're going to probably have him only once a month and I'll, I'll have guests every other time. So it should be exciting. And then outside of HQ, Lindy's baseball preview, which will come out in next month. Uh, look for it. I'm the di- I'm the guy that writes up the prospect uh, article in that magazine. Awesome. That's a that's a ton of stuff. I, the the minor league baseball analyst, by the way. Like I feel like it doesn't get as much pub as the forecaster. It hasn't obviously been around it's, as long. It is a phenomenal uh book phenomenal pairing with the forecaster so that comes out what mid-january usually like uh, usually like towards the end of january is when it uh yeah. when it gets shipped uh i mean it's a great book and you know derek mckamey was the first to start yep. it he's currently with the cardinals 
Yeah. Uh, and like he, I mean, it's, it's, you know, survived all these years with very minor tweaks. I mean, it's been a great uh, book and it's been great to be a part of, especially the last couple of years. Most definitely. That's uh, I know it's a good one to punch as Ryan said, I bet you it's getting more popular as dynasty becomes more and more popular around the fantasy world. And not to mention some things we'll talk about in the show. A lot of young players getting some chances these days. So uh, that is becoming more and more valuable. Yeah, and a lot of stuff in the forecaster, and that, that kind of nails it too. Like the minor league baseball analyst is a lot more, obviously it's totally prospect-based, uh, and there's essays and things like that um, in there, and and mega lists and things galore. There is, and to kind of pivot it to the forecaster, the forecaster I feel like focuses more on next season, like for redraft leagues, at least for at least on the prospect side. So a lot of the stuff, Chris, that you're doing, we do like a top, I think 75 uh prospects for 2024 and then we also obviously anybody who we think and and kind of behind the scenes ray murphy and all of our playing time analysts do this in like late september early october anybody who we think from a playing time standpoint that will be relevant in 2024 they get a box in the forecaster and so a lot of times what that means is prospects and the the previous in previous years, this is a big change that happened this year in the forecaster was in previous years, myself. And again, yesterday we had Corbin Allen on the, the, the box writers themselves, even if it was a prospect without any major league time, like a Jackson Churio, we would have their player boxes. And to me, admittedly, it was a little bit tough. We aren't prospect guys. We haven't seen these guys play in the majors and we don't have the data in the boxes to be able to do that. So one of the changes that we made this year, and I thought it was a great change, was uh, we outsourced that to Mr. Blessing. Yes. Anybody anybody who, not just rookie eligible, like we, we covered some rookie eligible guys where there is a major league sample. But basically anyone that, that's 2024 relevant that does not have a major league track record, um, we did not write those this year. We, we kind of, we, the player box writers, we passed those over and handed it over to, to Chris. So Chris, the question for you is like, what was that? transition like this i mean that basically you are writing your player boxes for the first time so how did that uh, how did that go it was uh first off an amazing opportunity when brent presented that to me i was i was ecstatic uh then i got to writing and uh my first my first box <laughs> hey, was I, was, on- I was ecstatic too because we had less to do <laughs> my first box was on evan carter and i was uh you know, and I used Evan Carter kind of as the guy that, like, I learned how to write at that time. The, I think when I wrote his box, it was uh, ALCS, so it was a- into the World Series. So, like, I could get like now um, uh, observations of him while also like you know digging into it. And like uh, with Carter, Carter has uh, you know obviously a lot of hype by him, by you know with the profile right now, but. Like the dude can't hit left-handed pitching at all. I had one extra base hit through the whole minor league system season and into the postseason into the major leagues against uh, left-handed pitching. So I wanted, I picked him to start with because I thought it was a very interesting profile, especially considering uh, the hype he was getting, especially after that really strong September. But you know, the Rangers were smart, never really had him face left-handed pitching. And anything, so in, in looking at Carter's box, but for any uh, any forecaster readers out there, anybody with the box at the end of the commentary, it says CB in mm-hmm. initials, 
that means uh, it was the fault of it was the blame fault me. of this guy. Yeah, blame. <laughs> Take your pitchforks and and go to blessing. Don't but, uh, don't, don't blame the guy at the bottom of the uh, page. Yeah. yeah. Um, so so yeah, just just one one big change that we did behind the scenes this year that I think I think helps the coverage a lot. That that Evan Carter fact is actually fascinating to me because he is getting taken pretty early in 2024 drafts with the expectation that he will have everyday playing time in Texas and that those struggles against lefties. That's uh that's a nice little tidbit you threw in that box. Oh, thanks. Yeah, those, 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 I like that they HQ did this this year because uh, with the rapid influx of call-ups last season, this is way more relevant than ever. Like now you might actually draft some of these guys potentially, or at least put them quickly on your radar uh, for call-ups from Fab when we see them come up in the first few weeks potentially. And um, that makes it much more entertaining. So if it's in the forecaster per se, the prospect book that comes out later, there's at least it's on the radar already. Like, hey, these, these are what we're looking at, something to do. And, and, and to that point, Chris, in 2023, we saw – a ton of call-ups it was just insane usually in the past it was like you know you had your certain dates your you know super two dates all these different dates and you get a, an influx here and an influx there but not a, to- a whole lot throughout the season it was like weekly we had a new pitcher or a new hitter or multiple guys a week was that just a one-off thing or is this what we expect going forward now that teams are trying to maybe save money or utilize players before they get hurt or uh, a lot of angles so how, how do you see this going moving forward it's a loaded answer, and uh, the reason why it's so loaded is uh, we had all of this excess in the upper minors of guys that were, uh, you know, kind of maybe held back a bit by the by the pandemic and stuff. So you had all of these guys, plus all of these different rule changes that have taken place. So to answer part of the question, will we ever see it as great as 2023? Probably not. But is this also the new norm? Yes, at the same time. Uh, You're going to, uh, you know, just given the incentives teams have now, uh, specifically if you even also just look at August, how August was handled with prospects uh, like Mason Wynn when they came up. You know, it gave them time where they still had prospect eligibility, meaning rookie eligibility and, you know, let's say win plays the whole year. I don't think so. I, I think there's still some work on that offensive game, but like, uh, you know, it makes guys more valuable to teams, especially since the uh, age of players is trending down. Uh, Matt Eddy at baseball America had a great article a few weeks ago on that. Uh, I mean, Plus, I don't know if teams trust their player development guys. Let's rush these guys to the major leagues like the Angels are doing. Let let our best coaches, and especially now with Ron Washington and uh, uh, it, with the Angels, you're going to probably see more guys get pushed uh, so quickly into that organization's major league club. I, I have a question on this also. Is I, I I've mentioned it to some other people, and it was just pure, you know, dumb speculation probably on my part. But for someone like yourself that kind of pays attention to this a lot more. Um, it seemed like most, not all obviously, but most of the teams that were more aggressive were quote-unquote cheaper teams. Like you had the Guardians, you had the Reds, um, things like that, where at least it felt that way. Maybe they just had more influx available in the minors. Um, is that something we'll see as teams that are trying to save money? Because these guys are cheap, obviously. Like the players coming up aren't going to cost a lot of money unless you go Brewers and, and give Churio a deal to, to bring them up. For the most part, relatively cheap, non-RBers even, stuff like that. Do you think those teams might like? 
I guess what I'm saying, so come draft day, should we be more comfortable maybe taking a chance on the cheaper teams or is it just kind of a case, like a, a weird situation? Well, it, it's it's kind of weird. So if you look at like the Dodgers, the Dodgers are still uh, taking their development the same way that they always have. Uh, you saw a guy like Dalton rushing in high A last year, not get up to double A. Like they're still very uh, specific focus. Uh, but then you had teams like all of a sudden the Rays, you know, the Rays tended to hold their guys back at the minor leagues. And then we see junior Caminero uh, just jump from high A, you know, all the way to the major leagues. Uh, you know, I, I got to see him twice last year and then he's in the major leagues and it's crazy because I don't even cover triple A uh, where I'm at. So, uh, so you're seeing that, um, but like a, a team that is uh, this off season showing a willingness to spend money, to absorb money, the Braves, they've had no problems the last several years True. bringing these guys up quickly. So um, it all depends upon the depth of a system. Uh, obviously, the Reds didn't the, – their strength was in the upper minor, so they could, you know, get those guys up there. Now you look at the Reds organization writing them up, and there, there's a couple pitchers that are still prospects, but most of the guys in the minor leagues uh, hitting-wise are probably not coming up this year. Gotcha. One of the, I guess, side effects of what we saw last year in early drafts, and, and Bubba and I are crazy enough to be have multiple drafts in our rear view at this point, which is kind of sick. It's December 13th. Speak for yourself. But uh, oh, I, I judge myself all the time. Don't worry about it. I'll, yeah. Um, Wyatt Link. So there are, there are guys who have zero MLB experience who are being drafted like, early um Wyatt Lang and I want to get your thoughts on on some of these guys Wyatt Langford is going for example like one forty ish yeah he's going in December like draft champions on the NFPC around like 140 150 around someone like somebody safe like a Ian Happ who's actually going well, right around there so like you have a safe and I'm just throwing out Ian Happ as a as as kind of the anti um uh, anti Langford, where you kind of know what you're getting. You're maybe getting 15 15, like a 260 batting average, and someone who's going to play every day versus what are you getting with Wyatt Langford? So, these, like in Langford's case in particular, is someone like him worth a top 10 round pick with zero MLB experience? Uh, somebody like Jackson Chorio, maybe. Uh, I just don't know if uh, Langford's that guy. Uh, I recently uh, took him in a prospect draft, uh, one one, but like it, it was a prospect draft, like it, it wasn't uh, you know full full on uh, you know, player pool and that sort of thing. Uh, I think a lot of that is how he performed after coming from Florida. Uh, he basically accelerated close uh, really quickly to uh, I think it, he ended up in Double A. Might have ended up in Triple A. I kind of lost count at some point. Um, but the thing is, is like, I think his biggest value is seeing if he can play center field for the major league club. We're not talking about fantasy. And I think that there's big question marks, whether he handles center field. Uh, I, I, when, when I did my Lindy's list, which is non-fantasy, I ranked him 
I think third overall, I had uh, Holiday one, Chorio two, and then I had him number three. And I was in a scout section right after first pitch, uh, scouting some college guys for an organization that kind of help out. And the scouts were quizzing me on my my picks. And mind you, my area kind of encompasses the University of Florida as well. So like, they were very curious why I had him three because they didn't necessarily have them three as, you know, um, coming out of the draft, like they are, uh, you know, third best prospect. They had guys like Drew Cruz and, and Paul Skeens ahead of him in the draft. So it was kind of interesting, you know, uh, talking about the, you know, the, the improvements he made as a pro. But I think at the end of the day, like I would be worried to take that guy in the 10th round uh, or, or sooner just because I don't believe that uh, the Rangers have the plan to, you know, push them forward uh, as quickly as people think they do. That's music to my ears, honestly, because all I keep hearing and from people that I respect in the game, they're like all aboard that train. And uh, that, that's pretty interesting so, stuff there. I don't know if Brian had more link for it, but that, that's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting to compare that him to Churia, who, and I don't know if this is a thing, and I believe this could change in a month or so, but like Churio has signed his contract. Like is that a fair assumption to think that Churio now that the contract is signed and, and he's, he's, he's locked in that he'll be on the opening day roster for Milwaukee. I mean, I'm, I'm going to, you know, just for the draft compensation, if he were to win, like, you know, rookie of the year or finish runner up, I think of course you, you have him on your opening day roster. Uh, he was a kid that struggled at the beginning of last season. And most of that, uh, for your listeners, I know not everybody's in, in the whole prospect thing. His struggles happened because uh, it seemed to coincide, I should say, with the sticky stuff that they were testing in AA. So, like, all of his struggles early were related to him basically bailing out on pitches because these sliders were all of a sudden, like, just awesome, you know. And then once the sticky stuff was stopped getting tested, he went on this enormous tear. Uh, and so like, you know, seeing something like that and seeing him adjust to like, I don't have a fear for him going up to the big leagues uh, to start the year as I would with Langford, who never really had a chance to struggle in the minor leagues. You need to struggle. Uh, you know, I, I guess you don't need to. And people I'd rather a guy struggle and figure out how to work through that in the minor leagues like Chorio did last year compared to somebody who uh, has found things easy. Uh, and, you know, guys can get hit, you know, hot and it, it doesn't really matter what the, you know, level they're at. So sometimes that kind of carries the whole performance, but like as a prospect, Langford is, is right there, you know, maybe, maybe the third guy of, you know, the top guys in the prospect thing, but like for, fantasy uh for guys who haven't performed this uh, so far like i have chorio higher and i would even say i have a holiday um who might not be up at the beginning of the year but i have holiday like a better producer next year uh 2024 as opposed to uh langford this is fun i'm liking this now yeah Cheerio's going as high as 124 uh since he's basically got the contract so yeah. people are, are buying into that one for sure but the jackson one's going to be interesting to watch that uh, adp fluctuate because you know, they came out and said if he has a good spring basically he will start with the team like they want they want him to start with the team mm -hmm. of, course, of course they want to say that too like get the kid motivated that makes a ton of sense but it's the same thing like you said the incentives teams have now if, if he's ready 
and he could potentially win a rookie of the year. Yeah, you're coming up, kid. Like we're we're doing this thing. Yeah. So uh, it, it makes a ton of sense. Um, I do have one other prospect that wasn't on a list here, but just it just dawned on me because you mentioned him earlier. Do you have any quick thoughts on uh, Caminero of the Rays? Because when I'm in a draft room and I see that name, I just get like, what are the Rays going to do? <laughs> well, it, it seems like they're they're all right. So um, in their system, it's um, the, their their scouts actually go and watch their players or whatever they call them. They all have different names, uh, uh, player acquisition, whatever kind of specialist. I don't know what their names are, um, but like you, you always see their personnel watching their players, whether it's player development or scouting. Uh, and the wows that you got from him from their own staff last year was pretty, you know, pretty amazing just to hear that. Like, oh my God, can, can, can you believe that guy just hit the ball out? Like I saw him hit a ball the opposite field in a place where uh, Loft is just suppressed uh, and was able to like somehow hit it further than any left-handed hitter I ever had seen at that stadium, that specific stadium. Maybe Jason Hayward back when he was a prospect might've been better, uh, might've uh, um, been able to do that, but like not many guys have been able to do that. Um, I think that they're willing to have him as a full-time player just because of his approach and his ability to, um, and when I say approach, I mean uh, ability to like spray liners, the opposite field, and also, um, you know, get to left field. He is a little aggressive, so they might want to, you know, calm that down a bit. Um, and, and maybe they only give him, you know, part-time playing time and in, in successful, um, you know, matchups, uh, lefties, uh, righties that aren't necessarily hard throwers, um, high spin rate type guys you maybe try to avoid. Uh, but like, you know, it's always hard to predict the Rays, obviously. It, yeah. it's, it's almost impossible. It was interesting that the Rays, yeah, like you said, I mean, Cameron got playing time in the playoffs and was hitting like second or third last couple yeah. weeks of the season, yes. which, which, yeah, not only to get called up, but he was like, a key cog the so like enough of these uh high profile prospects bubba and i's draft champions draft is now rounding into the 24th round and we need some uh more under the radar prospects that you may have written up in in the forecaster this year who are some of those guys like that aren't your high profile or highest profile uh guys for 2024 that aren't going in like you know these top 20 rounds or whatever um any any 2024 redraft like under the radar guys that you're looking at that you're high on for for 2024 only it's always looking for playing time obviously yeah um, and where there's uh playing time opportunity uh the first two were kind of easy i picked three guys um the third guy was a little more difficult because the third guy i was going to pick was uh was uh, Mauricio the Mets, uh, but then Mauricio Ooh. the Mets got hurt and is uh, yeah that be, sucks yeah yep. so um and and like I I like I I'm not a big Mauricio fan or anything but like there was a path to playing time and all of that stuff uh, number one on the list is uh, Xavier Edwards from the Marlins organization former Rays prospect uh, former Padres prospect he's kind of bounced around a little um, I think what makes him valuable is his contact skills his ability to get on base and when he gets on base steal steal bases uh uh 
there's there's some issues with uh like i like his bat better from the right side than the left side um and I, i've always liked it uh got to see him i think 2019 uh play in high school and uh you know kind of had the same feelings then that i have now about him um the second guy is another guy that I saw in high school, I think in 2018, maybe 2019, uh, Parker Meadows, uh, brother of Austin. Uh, Parker is not a good hitter. Um, but see, the <laughs> thing is, what he does really well is he fields, and, and that carries you to center field at bats. And so the and then he also can hit for power. And he's a fast guy. He um, runs. Yep. So, like, uh, this is we're talking about sleepers here. This guy kind of fits the mold. And actually, with one of my uh, fantasy teams, uh, one of my dynasty teams, we were talking about this. We actually acquired him, Brad Johnson and I, in the uh, Devil Rejects League uh, this week, just because there's that chance for um, some some counting stats there, uh, and maybe get some batting average other places. Uh, and then the final guy I picked. I don't know. I don't, I don't, uh, you know, playing time wise, I think that the organization is, uh, and we're talking about the Red Sox. I think that their, their depth isn't that great. Uh, and that's Sadine Raffaella, um, uh, who's, uh, outfielder, um, uh, speedy guy, uh, very aggressive hitter. Um, and, and that's where some of the issues come obviously not, uh, going to be pushed up in drafts, uh, because there's a good chance that he, racks up uh, uh, low BAs because of uh, some swing and misses and that sort of thing. But like so far, like he, he seemed to have handled himself. Okay. Last year. Uh, but the, you know, the speed element and the, and, and he's a strong guy for his size and, and will pop a home run here and there too. So like uh, you know, there's some value there as well. I'm a big Rafaela fan and I, I get worried when they start making trades or, or signing guys, the O'Neill trade kind of concerned me a bit, yeah, but yeah, I still think Raphael's talent should play out. We'll see. Like you sound like you, I like the talent as well. So that'll be fun. But I'm going to erase that uh, whole last section there because uh, it's fine. Yeah, I, I don't want people to uh, draft Parker Meadows or Sedan Raphael. So I, I, I'm, that, that's not going to go for air. Um, any other thoughts on that, Ryan? Before we get to a listener question from our buddy. No, is it, yeah. Why did why why did Boston have to trade for Tyler O'Neill? Somebody had. Come to. on, so, someone had. He was, to. he was free. Um, <laughs> all right, from our buddy. Calling my shot, formerly known as Little Book of Calm, would like to add, would like to know, Chris, when prospects who have no MLB experience get called up and it's time for Sunday Fab in redraft leagues, what are some of the best numbers to look at to help me decide who is worth uh, paying up for stats themselves, but also stuff like ages, level, prospect ranks, etc. Like, what do you look at when you decide is this player worth going for? Um, maybe the wrong person to ask that question. I, I rely very heavily on my scouting, uh, acronym, um, because it's just what I am. Um, first off, get a um, subscription to baseball HQ, check out the call-ups, uh, column. There you go. Uh, Com- company is, man. Company that, man. That is, Next a, in the mail. that is a very good, um, to great, uh, resource for this because we take from our own, uh, analysis. Uh, we have a great write-up team, uh, for call-ups, uh, I'm not. I'm going to miss somebody, so I'm not going to name name any of them. But they're great. Uh, so that that would be my first thing um, is go there. I, I also like to look at things uh, specifically contact rates. Uh, uh, we use CT. Of, uh, you know, any anybody that's uh, hitting the ball, uh, you know, eighty percent 
you know, making contact at, at 70, 80% on a, on a CT stat um, is a guy that I'm interested in. Um, speed doesn't translate as easily. Um, that, that that's something that like you, you try to uh, grab steals, even, even with the shorter, you know, um, um, lengths between the bases at this point with the bigger bases, um, you're still, there's a big transition from there. The guy's fast. He's fast. But if, if you're hearing a guy it has average to above average speed or less than that, and he's stealing bases, um, has 20 stolen bases, uh, you don't, don't count on that. Um, power in AAA is illusion. Uh, all the bad balls that uh, get rejected by major leagues go down there. So, uh, and then, of course, Pacific Coast League is is terrible too. Yeah, um, if, if the pitchers are surviving in those leagues, that might be somebody to look at. You know, uh, Reese Olson was a guy last year, like uh, you know, that kind of stuck out for me uh, as somebody that I picked up in many leagues because he seemed to be surviving, even though the the um, you know ERA wasn't that great in AAA. Uh, those sort of things. You look for that. That's you know those those secondary stats. Um, to, to really kind of tell the story, but on base percentage, uh, uh, contact rate and, uh, the number of walks is always good too. how many walks they have. If it's, if it's real, um, you know, we, we, the automated strike zone also throws so much into that as well. Um, you know, it's, it's becoming harder and harder and actually is one of the two articles I'm working on for the MLBA this year is basically how do we make sense of AAA uh, when, or AA, when it's experiment after experiment after experiment. Um, so like look for that in the minor league baseball analysts. Also, I'm, I'm covering our first question about the, the call-ups and stuff. We're, we're going to cover that as well in that book too. Well, I can't wait. Bloomfield, anything else for uh, Mr. Blessing before we, uh, we wrap this segment up? No, just to add on to it. So I joke about the, uh, the, the the company man comment, but I do write. So I write the fab column for HQ every Sunday. Yep. And when I when a prospect gets called up, I'm basically every single time I link to the org report for that player because there's nothing that I can add from a skill standpoint or to what Chris was talking about scouting a stat line with with so much noise at every single level of the minors. I basically add my commentary on what the short-term playing time outlook is. And I say for the actual scouting report and the skills, mm-hmm. here's here was his prospect rating and here's a link to that scouting report. I think that combination of uh, of the scouting plus the short-term playing time outlook is, you know, about the best we can do in terms of like new call-ups for fab throughout yeah. the year. Like our buddies at Rates and Barrels, they had uh, Kyle Manzardo on uh the guardians yep. prospect talking about the automated strike zone and how he just stopped you know swinging at the high pitch that so he couldn't hit like and he knew knew that was like a bad thing and that was what he was working on in the afl you know trying to hit that pitch but like they were giving it to him for free like they were telling him okay you don't have to swing at this because the the way the strike zone is so how do you evaluate somebody off of stats like manzardo when he's basically telling you on which i don't know he might get in trouble for saying that but like it's true like you know i'll i'll repeat it because he said it like he was yeah. laying off the high strike because he knew it wasn't going to get called. Yep. Yeah, that's interesting stuff. Hopefully we have more players kind of getting their voice out there. And uh, there's more major leaguers going on shows and having their own shows and talking. Maybe we'll get some more minor leaguers in uh, somewhere, some way 
in, in the uh, the coming years to kind of talk, but minor leaguers might be a little more hush hush, kind of like you mentioned, Chris, because they want to get that job in the bigs, yeah. so they might not say so much. But uh, make sure everybody you follow Chris on Twitter at c underscore blessing. We look forward to the MLB uh, MLB A coming out in about a, a month or so, month and a half, and uh, everything else to come. But Chris, thanks for joining us, man. Always always a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you for having me. Bear down. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Go get some sleep, man. I will. Take care. Okay. Have a good one, my friend. Bye. All right. Now, part two of part two episode of the Baseball HQ Forecaster. We are joined by an uh, an editor, a very big time editor um, for <laughs> Baseball HQ, an associate editor, someone that um, has the luxury of saying. They were the ones that edited the Golden Child's work before he was promoted <laughs> oh, to the junior on. executive. Oh, I, knew um, this, I knew this was coming. This, this is this when I heard this individual was joining our show. This is the tame, tame introduction. I thought of so many fun <laughs> things I could say with this one. This is what friends do. Um, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation over the next half hour or so. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at BP Cruz. Brandon Cruz, thanks for joining us, my friend. Thanks for having me on. This is a, yeah, this is a full kind of a full circle moment for me. I, it was the, I don't know, 2014, maybe forecast or something around that. Yeah, it was, it that, was, uh, that year. Yeah. When it was my first year on yeah. the, on the forecast writing player boxes and Brandon yeah. was my editor and I'll, I'll always remember the first, uh, it, it was, um, God, not, I want to say Evan Carter. Cause that's just who blessing was talking about. Um, who was the, the Astros slugger? Chris Carter. Oh, uh, Chris Carter. Yeah, yeah. Chris Carter. Yeah. Chris Carter. Yeah. That was my first ever player box. Was Chris Carter uh, for Houston, and I remember writing that that first page, sending it into to Brandon for his first kind of crack at edits. And I remember getting the email back, and Brandon, you prefaced it. You were like, "Yeah, this is you're you're nice about it. First time, Russ, and you know, I have some feedback for you." And then the email was like, yeah. boom, like a list of, of uh, for, yeah. not just for Carter, but for every single, uh, yeah. every single of those seven guys on that page. So uh, yeah. it's, it's just funny to think back on that. Um, my, yeah. my first ever page and Brandon was there to, to usher me along and eventually get me, <laughs> get me back off, back on the rails, I guess. Well, and I, I went back uh, into my email archives and looked for those first pages that we worked on together. And yes, you're right. That first page, I did have notes on all seven players. Uh, but oh, yeah. then I looked by the third page uh, that you sent me, the third batter page. I said, you're writing like a forecaster vet and it really seems like you found your voice. So I think that you uh, picked it up really quickly. I, I remember that one as well. So let's focus on that one. Not, the, not the <laughs> I, I, all I hear is that first one, and it was pretty crazy. Yeah, the first, but, the first one was pretty terrible. But I, 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm clip I'm clip kidding. it. Uh, but one thing I'll say is, in I'll, I'm not going to speak for Ryan, but for someone that uh, I started writing more often in the last few years or so, I kind of doubt. I'm, I'm more of a podcaster, of course. And um, I remember my very first article with HQ, Brent edited uh my daily matchup i got a similar email and obviously you guys say it very nicely but as well as like okay you need to do this differently you need to do this different, like just like kind of a, a list of things and it the one the way the reason i want to bring it up is for anybody that's out there writing now or looking to write it's never meant to be a mean thing it's just to make things better and honestly if you get an editor that gives you feedback like that you'll be better off in the long run 
because some people kind of like you know pussyfoot around it and like oh yeah this is good no just give me the, the cold hard truth and we're going to be a lot better in the future so i just wanted to throw that out there it's like it's fun it's tongue-in-cheek it's like yeah you got to got your your uh editorial lashing but it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of comes with the course it's, it comes with the territory so it's pretty yeah. fun stuff well and i was i was fortunate enough to uh have Rod uh, Truesdell as my editor when I started at the Forecaster, and he was great. I mean, he uh, did a really good job of like pointing out all the things that all the mistakes I was making, um, pointing out ways to do things better, making suggestions, uh, offering some encouragement. So uh, I, you know, I try to do that as well, um, but it is at the same time you're you know getting back to this to each writer with a long list of things that you want them to address so it 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 does sometimes it can be a bit much yeah i didn't yeah i didn't realize rod was your first uh yeah. editor that's that's pretty cool because he still writes yeah. he goes back and forth he, he works with i think nick rand yeah and yeah. they they kind of edit each other's stuff and they yeah they, i mean they're they doing plenty doing of boxes. still long yeah oh yeah yep not really editing as far as give me a second set of eyes situation. <laughs> yeah, I think so. so. I think so. Yeah. Um, well, before we get deep into this, and I'm really looking forward to it because uh, yesterday we had Alan on and he said he's been, you know, reading the forecaster and I'm doing stuff uh, forever, it seems like. And so it's fun to get kind of another voice that's been there for a while. So let's just start with it. How long have you been with Baseball HQ and writing for the forecaster? Well, so I started with HQ in 2005 and I was hired as a, a writer for what was back then called Market Watch, which was kind of a combination of playing time today and fact flukes. So you would get five players, but rather than picking them out yourself, they would be guys who were in the news that week. So uh, it might be in the off season, it might be five guys who had just signed contracts. Um, and I remember the very first player I wrote up was Chris Benson, uh, the pitcher, if you, oh, if you remember yep. him. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and I think this was when he was with the Orioles uh, okay. after that. Yeah. And so uh, uh, after that, I kind of, I've been uh, kind of, I would say like a utility player for HQ over the years. I've, I've done uh, the batting average buyer's guide. I've done playing time tomorrow, uh, matchups, um, facts, flukes. I've done some editing for the site. Uh, I did some spots for HQ radio back in the day, some research back in the day uh, before, you know, we got people who are actually good at doing the research <laughs> stuff. Uh, and, uh, and then for the last, um, I don't know, like six, seven years, I've been writing the first impressions column, which is basically, it's under the fact flukes umbrella and it's it's like a fact flukes column except just exclusively devoted to um rookie players and analyzing them and i i want to i heard some of your conversation with with chris there at the end and i want to uh also uh really highly recommend the the scouting reports on the hu site because those are invaluable for me when i'm writing the first impressions column i'm i'm reading those every time for every player because i want to see what they had to say and see how the things they said about that player, are we seeing those show up in the majors in their their first crack of the majors? Nice, nice. Yep, highly recommend. I think that comes out every Sunday as well, right? Yeah, impressions. yeah. Yep. yep, that's a Sunday column. Yep, good one. Um, um, to pivot pivot back to the forecaster. So, and we asked this last night to, uh, to Corbin and Alan as well, um, who have like Bubba was saying, who have been writing, but not quite as long, Brandon, 
as you want to get your thoughts on your player box writing process. We'll get to the editing part in a little bit, but like you get this blank white screen of Excel with a bunch of stats inside a box and you need to fill that white, white screen with the commentary that eventually will be on the book. What's your kind of checklist? What, what, what are you looking at before you even write the player commentary? And then, you know, what stats are you looking at or using when you're actually going through and writing the box itself? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, the very first thing I like to do is just start with the box and kind of, uh, let my eyes wander through the box and see what stands out, what grabs my attention. Um, and basically, you know, I feel like I'm looking for a way in to talk about that player, anything that's going to give me a kind of a starting point. Um, and so maybe from that, I'll get an opening sentence that I can write down and, or I'll get uh, an idea for something to dig into a little further. Maybe like there's something in, you know, a hitter's contact rate or the trends in their power skills. Um, so I'm just kind of looking for that first little thing to grab onto. Um, and I always, I kind of try to approach it from the mindset that I'm kind of a tour guide for the reader that I'm trying to lead you through the box and point out what's worth noting and, you know, say like, okay, look at this contact trend, look at the gap here between his, his PX and his XPX, or look at the gap for this pitcher, you know, between their ERA and their expected ERA. Um, so if I can kind of, you know, make it uh, a little quicker for you to find the, the highlights of the box, that's, I feel like that's kind of our job as, as, as writers. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense because I know, especially for like newer readers of the forecaster, and yes, we have the encyclopedia and analytics and all that stuff that leading up to the to the player box section. It is if you're if you're newer to it, even if you've been reading the forecaster for <laughs> five years, um, and sometimes we do change some of the stuff in the box. I, I kind of think of that way too. It's like here's what you're seeing, and here's why it matters. Uh, yeah, for the last last year or or going forward. Um, Pivoting a little bit to the editing side. Okay. I'm curious your thought, because I had to make this transition, I don't know, whenever I, I became an editor four or five years ago. What, the, the one thing that I always look at is there's kind of two parts to a forecaster box is like the analysis itself. And then this other thing what that we call the forecaster voice. Yes. Um, when, when you first get a, a, a submission to you as an editor, are you focusing on one or the other, both? What's your what's your editing process other than telling me here's the laundry list of things that uh, <laughs> did? What what uh, what what is that editing process? How's that different from the writing process? And then how do you approach kind of that first yeah. pass of uh, submissions? It is it is a different approach, and it's you're you're kind of looking at everything. I mean, it's uh, so many different things because you are yeah. uh, like you said, you're trying to make sure that the that the analysis is accurate, that it's, uh, you know, is the process sound or the points that the writer is making being supported by what you see there in the box. That's a, that's a big one. Um, uh, is, and then you, the things like the forecaster voice, does it, does it match the style that we're aiming for? Is it written tightly, which is super important because those boxes are very small, though not as small as they used to be. They used to be about 35 to 40 words, which I- Oh I, man. I yeah, believe, we think, yeah. Pull, I can't pull believe that old, we actually like, did that. I joked at 55. It, oh, these goodness. boxes now look like- Oh, they're spacious. Mansions. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're roomy. 
They are. Brandon um, logs in now. Back to your your blank question. Brandon goes, "This is easy. What are you talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do feel like with the like, there's with these boxes, there's no one right answer that we're looking for. Um, it's 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 about interpretations of the of the data, and so uh, as long as I think if you you know if you gave the same player to um, five different writers, we'd all have five different takes on them. Um, they might, you know, not be that far off from each other, but I don't think they'd be exactly the same either. Um, so it's really just about making sure, that, again, that process is sound, that the, the points are supported. Uh, and then just the little things like, you know, uh, typos, grammar, uh, making sure the writer put in notes on the projection, which is an important part of the process. Um, each writer is asked to look at that initial projection and say, okay, I think you can make adjustments here, maybe a little more playing time, maybe a few more home runs, uh, whatever, you know, they feel like is supported again by the data. Um, and just, it's, you got to kind of just check every little thing. Like sometimes something as small as like platoon splits and, and quoting a platoon split, uh, those can get dicey because they have small sample sizes. So you want to check those and make sure that the writer didn't cite like okay this guy was uh you know had a had a great ops plus against left-handed pitchers but it was only 20 plate appearances yeah. yep um those those yeah those are common gotchas because a lot of times yeah. in in the player box and what we do is we combine everything into one year one row so if somebody and some of the some of the stats are major league only like some of the stat cast oh stuff, yeah yeah and so you'll see a row where like this player had 550 plate appearances, but 450 of them were in the minors. And yeah. thus, can you really use X home run XPX, which are yeah. major league only stats. So those are, yeah, that's a, that's a common um, gotcha. You, you made a really good point about too, about sending the same box to five different people and getting five different things back. Because one, uh, one thing I don't want to say I, I, I struggle with, but sometimes we may me me and a writer may disagree on the outlook of a play. Like maybe I'm higher on somebody than than the writer is, or maybe I'm lower on somebody than the writer is. Who's to say who's right or wrong? Um, but I feel like as long as the data in the box supports the argument, that you know that's that's what we go with. I I wonder too. I wonder like uh, Brandon, how do you? And this is more just an editing pro process in in general. How much do you like? lead the horse to water or how much do you kind of say i would suggest changing something to and leaving it open-ended and giving the writer kind of that freedom to to grow to learn and to and to edit that way as opposed to oh i think you should say this that's something as yeah. an editor that i always kind of struggle with it's yeah and it's it's hard uh i think it it really is kind of a case-by-case -case basis it depends on how many drafts have, are you into this page um with the writer yeah. uh where are you in the, where are we in the process like are we you know pushing up against the deadline for being done with hitters and we need to get this page moving along and up to brent and and to ray and to ron um so you know in that case i may make suggestions a little sooner than i might otherwise um if you know if i see um uh, uh, a sentence that like I get what the writer is going for, but it's not quite there style-wise, forecaster voice-wise. I might suggest just give them a polish and say, if you like this, use it. If you don't, you know, take your own version of it. Um, but I, the ideal scenario is to get each writer to uh, to a point where they are really comfortable with the 
uh, with the process, with working with all the skills and, and, you know, getting to that place on their own. That's, that's the ultimate goal, I think. Um, and, uh, it, uh, I was, there was, I had a point, but I forgot it. <laughs> it's a lot editing. I can already, like, this is why I, I think the podcasting more often than not, because, uh, <laughs> there, there, there's a, there's a lot to it. Yeah. And like, I have a face for radio somehow YouTube involves, I don't know, but, um, <laughs> We're going to talk about players now because you kind of mentioned, you know, obviously we you're doing player boxes and that's kind of the fun of of a lot of this. And everyone, you know, they say you get their PDF or when you get your book, who's the first name you look at and all these kind of things. So now we're going to talk about some of the boxes you did and just more like uh, your favorites, least favorites, so on and so forth. So let's start with the positive here. Who is your favorite box that you took part in this season? Well, so uh, I always enjoy when there's an opportunity to have a little fun with the box. Um, and I know you guys, I, I listened to your conversation with Alan and you guys talked about like, it's usually that backup catchers, middle relievers, guys that don't really have a lot of uh, fantasy relevance. And so it's okay if you uh, go a little uh, off topic with it and, and have some fun with it. Um, and so I, uh, I was... One of my guys was was Danny Jansen, who's not really he's not a backup catcher. He's more of a you know playing time split catcher, I guess you'd call him. Uh, but uh, when I got to his box, um, I uh, I noticed that he had fractured his middle finger um, on September first, and I was like, huh, middle finger? Yeah, I can do something with that. <laughs> um, and so I just decided to uh, find like come up with as many uh, different ways of you know saying giving someone the finger that I could think of. I, you know, I'm going over to urban dictionary and doing some searches there to remind myself. You wouldn't think that's how you'd be spending your time working on the forecaster, going up and looking up, you know, euphemisms for giving the finger, but that's what I did for about 10, 15 minutes. Uh, and so ended up with uh, doing like using that little running bit, but also giving you the analysis that I wanted to give you, which to me is like the perfect way to do it, where you can mix in some humor, but also still do the analysis. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading the box right now. It's it's beautiful. Like, like I said when I talked on yesterday or the previous show with Alan, I'm a humorous guy. I'm a sarcastic guy. So if you can intertwine that kind of stuff, but still keep on point, I'm a big fan of that because. And we talked about it on the show is there's over what, 700 players, 800 players in this thing. Yeah. You need to mix it up. Like oh, yeah, there's only, there's only absolutely. so much dry, like here's the stats you can do. Yeah. So when you can like flip through, you got like kind of the okay, good analysis, normal, normal, normal. Oh, this is funny. Okay. Now I got like, rejuvenated to go read some more. Like let's see where the next Easter yeah. egg is basically. Yeah. Uh, so I, what you just did there is that's, it's beautiful. Well, and, and I, like I, what I, that, type of box i kind of call it like a theme box where you pick a theme and mm -hmm. kind of stick with it as you go through and i don't know who it is that that first originated it but it's been everybody kind of uses that little format uh you know for fun once in a while because it's just a nice uh, way to do it um but yeah i think it's 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 really important to to mix in some of the humor and and things that keep it entertaining for the reader it keeps it entertaining for us as as writers as yeah. editors i mean uh, uh, Chris Olson is really good at that. And so he's yes, one of he my is. writers. And so yeah. I enjoy getting his pages because I know there's going to be something in there that's going to make me laugh. Um, it's, it's just a nice, I think, and I think that's something that Ron figured out pretty quickly when he first started doing the book, that it was a nest, it was necessary to have that in there to keep it from being too dry. 
Yeah, for anybody that's been to F Paz, you hear Ron's opening, uh, you know, speech, and it's it's got all the notes, but there's always some jokes in there, and there's some humor and, and stuff like that. So it kind of falls into writing. And so you mentioned like you have Chris Olson and stuff. Do you ever read his and think that's good? Now I got to one up him in one of mine. Or is oh, that kind of a absolutely. There's stuff that he sends me. I'm like, I am so jealous that he thought of that. Perfect. Chris is uh, Chris is one of the more humorous uh, writers out there for the for the box. I always for, for the forecast. I always kind of seek out yeah. his boxes. I I, I I I like that that talk of a theme of each box because that that that's generally how I think of it too. I remember one year is a tough one. It was like Nick Markakis. Like what I'm gonna what am I gonna say about Nick Markakis? I compared him to like an old washing machine, and then I just did everything <laughs> like about selling for spare parts, reliable, hasn't broken down, and you know. All this yeah. stuff. So, it, you, oh, yeah. You just, if you can hit on something like that, it's just, it's gold. It's just, yep. it makes it, it, it gives you structure and it makes it, it just gives you that little moment of fun and, and something different from, cause so, like I'd say, like probably like 50% of the boxes were leading with either like an injury recap or talking about like, you know, something that happened in, in, in between first half, second half performance. And so that's, you know, those are necessary, but not necessarily as interesting for for the reader if if the entire book was that way it would be a little dry and so getting to mix things up having some variety is is, is good what were some of your tougher boxes to write this year uh well for me um established star players are are typically my least favorite to write about just because i feel like there's only so much that you can you can you know find to talk about there. What am I going to tell you about Juan Soto that you don't already know? Um, unless there you know something really uh, surprising happened in the skills, there's not going to be anything earth shattering that I'm going to come up with in my in my commentary uh, for you. Um, so uh, Jose Ramirez is obviously one of those established star players, and uh, as I was you know looking at his box, um, one of the first things that uh, stood out for me was that he um, lost ten dollars in rotisserie value last year, um, which you know if you uh, drafted him in the first round or uh, you know put paid you know heavy uh, auction amount for him, um, you were probably pretty disappointed in that. Um, and so, and you you know you look at his uh, his skills in the box, nothing really stood out as being a huge red flag his his uh power skills like his xpx has been around league average the last couple of years um but x home run was still pretty much in line with the home run output uh the the steel skills the speed skills look pretty good and so what then caught my eyes i was digging further was in the second half uh he only had 28 rbi and 337 plate appearances that was really, really low. Um, and his overall total for the season was 80 RBI, which was down from 126 the year before. That's a huge loss of value in that one category. Um, and RBI, I mean, they're always going to be a little unpredictable. It's dependent upon teammates getting on base for you. Um, but as I was, you know, once I saw that, I was like, okay, that's something I can use and let me dig a little further on that. And so, uh, I found that he hit just uh, a buck 47 uh with like a you know 517 ops with runners in scoring position in the second half that's one part of that really low rbi total the other was that his teammates um uh 
only 92 of his 337 second half plate appearances were with runners in scoring position. And that's extremely low. I mean, both of those things are so are such outliers that you can feel pretty confident that that's not going to happen again. Um, And so I feel like, you know, again, RBI are unpredictable. You can't say, oh, he's going to bounce back to 126 because that was probably on the high end of things. But he'll definitely you feel pretty confident that he's going to do better than 80 next year. And that's that's what I think. And you put that in the box. You put the literal sentence after you after you mentioned though that slash line and the and the uh, the thing about the his teammates is you say this shouldn't happen again because yeah. it while that is an interesting stat, the reader is probably wondering, okay, like wow, that's crazy. The the slash line and 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 the teammate stuff is that sticky? Is that not? What does that mean yeah. for twenty twenty four? And I think by by adding that part in. Um, really helps kind of guide the reader from that aspect. So yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. And there's, I, at the end, I noted that, you know, he's, his trends in his barrel rate and his XPX are, you know, they might be concerns as he's into his thirties now, but like none of it with a, with a, uh, an established star player like that, you really want to see something more meaningful in the data than that before you start saying, okay, you should be worried about this guy. So it just that just didn't seem to rise to that level. And when you have Naylor and Naylor hitting with him, he's going to be just fine this year. I'm not too worried about it. Yeah, I was curious since you guys have said you've been doing a lot of drafting. What what are you seeing for with him? J Ram, he's going back into round one now. Okay, yep, yeah, he slipped. He's he's definitely slipped a bit from. He was pretty much consensus top five last yep. year. There was and... two years ago. It was like one or two, depending on if you want to trade Turner or J Ram. So mm-hmm. yeah. Which, which I'm still happy with if you can get it, if you can get Ramirez in the back half of the first round and we, and we don't really, cause we don't know ADP in, in the forecaster. We don't, we're not really concerned. We don't know the ADPs. And so we kind of, yeah. we, we take that out, but, and we focus solely on the skills, but yeah, he, he's, he slipped a little bit and I think it's personally I think it's a fine buying up. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think so too. So any other hard ones that, uh, that you struggled with. Yeah. Year. So another one that, uh, again, where I kind of had to do some digging outside the box was, was Hunter green. Um, mm. so, you know, the first thing you, you see when you look at his box, he had a, a 482 ERA, a 142 whip, only 112 innings pitch. It was a pretty disappointing season. You had negative rotisserie value. Uh, and then you notice some really big splits between his, his first half and his second half. Um, and he also went on the injured list on June 19th with a hip injury. And, you know, anytime you see an injury, uh, I like to go over to Rotowire and look through their entries because they have, you know, they, they kind of delineate it really in a great way where you can find him pretty quickly. But you can also go and maybe find some notes leading up to that injured list stint that may show you that things were happening prior to the to the transaction. Um, and that was the case with him where, uh, he, uh, there was a June 4th entry. Uh, he had to start pushback because of hip stiffness. And at the time, uh, uh, David Bell, the Reds manager said they had no major concern with the hip. Four days later, another entry where Bell says hip greens, hip felt great. So, you know, and then 11 days later, he's on the injured list for two months. So it's, kind of always wise to take those kind of comments with a grain of salt because obviously i don't know if he if things just worsened that quickly or if he was kind of not being 
fully honest with the uh, the info that they were given out about Green at that point. But uh, with that uh, in mind, then I went back and and looked at uh, his first half where uh, he had a 393 ERA, a 396 expected ERA. And knowing that, you know, June was a little iffy because of the hip problem starting then, I wondered like, okay, what would it look like if we remove June and just look at April and May? And that got me to a, a 354 expected ERA and skills that were very similar to what he did in 2022. And so that gave me the confidence to, to slap an upside label on him saying that he could be in line for uh, as uh, being as good as having a 350 ERA and 225 strikeouts next year. Um, and so that was a case where just doing that little bit more digging really helped. I love it. That, yeah. Those upside, we, yeah, we don't just, we don't just kind of slap those on guys. We like, it has to be um, supported somehow there, there's at least has to be like a flash or a sign of that yeah. skill. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, in green's case, like, the somewhat removing or just saying, what if, what if the hip injury lingered in, 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 you know, in that April, May version, plus what we saw in yeah. 22 sticks around yes. in the cards. Yeah. Since what I found was so similar to 2022, that, that yep. added to my confidence level that like, okay, this is what he can do if he's, if he's healthy and really on his game. Question about that up label. Um, they're obviously not on every player. How do you guys decide who gets up labels? But I obviously you said they have to have like something that shows it, but how do you guys kind of differentiate all that? Well, I think we're usually looking for uh a performance level that the player has never achieved before. That's a big one. Um mm -hmm. you want to make sure ideally it should be a little bit above and beyond what the projection is. That's not always the case. Sometimes it will be a little closer to the present projection, but um you want to see some separation there. Uh and just again having something in the skills that that really backs that up is important. All right. Well, that'll lead us to the next part here is, you know, you do all these, this research, you write all these player boxes and everything, and you're going to come away with some guys all of a sudden you're like, wow, that was pretty interesting to see. I'm, I'm higher on this guy. Or there's the, the alternative where it's like, this guy was really bad. I, I knew what he was really bad and we're just going to be really low on him now. So let's start with the positive on this one. Who are some of the guys that you are high on after completing your boxes? Yeah. So uh, talking about, you know, uh, putting an upside label on someone I did not expect to be slapping an upside label on Kyle Isbell. Uh, I had, I had covered him for first impressions back in 2022. And I, um, I remembered kind of uh, saying that he, you know, he had a mix of, of power and speed uh, that made him worth watching. Anytime I think you see a guy, a young player like that, that has uh, speed skills and power skills that are above average, that's a good combo because you know, you can get both home runs and steals out of that. Uh, so I said, maybe that could lead to some value down the road. But that was, you know, again, I, that was, I wrote him up in 2022. I hadn't really thought much about him since then. And so I was, you know, when I went in to look at his box, I was a little surprised at what I, what I found there, especially um, in the, in his second half. Um, I mean, overall, he improved his contact rate, a really nice gain there into um, to 80%, which is well above average. Uh, he uh, he improved his stolen base percentage, um, 88% on the season to 100% in the second half. Um, so some some what looks like skill improvement there. Uh, his, his XPX is up to 118. Uh, the league average there is 100. So uh, some sign that the the power skills are starting to come together. 
And uh, in that second half, which was entirely in the majors, uh, he had 202 plate appearances. Um, he was worth $10. Um, and that was pretty much in a platoon role um, because he just hasn't uh, had enough success versus left-handers to, to break out of that uh, platoon situation. And, and he's another example of, of wanting to, needing to really take a closer look at those um, platoon split numbers because in the box in the forecaster, you look at his, uh, his OPS plus versus left-handers and it's uh, 120 in 2021 and last year it was 108. Well, the, the 2021 sample was 13 plate appearances in the majors and the uh the sample from from last season uh that was a uh, a 45 percent hit rate against left-handers so both of those it's the first one's a really small sample the second one's just fluky and so he's not as as uh that may lead you to believe he's ready to face left-handers but he's he's really not and so uh he's likely going to be in a platoon role um you know i said upside of, of 15 home runs 15 steals which is not huge um but could be worth something if you know depending on the size of your league um and the only other concern with him would just be that you know he's the type of hitter uh who could get pushed out of the lineup if the team acquires a better option but it's the royals and <laughs> it seems like they're probably yeah. not going to do that yeah Kyle is bell right now in in these 50 round draft and hold leagues on the on the NFBC is going in the 41st round so it's always <laughs> cool to be able to find some of these like 30th 40th round guys with upside tags like yeah and the Royals always had that Michael A Taylor was like the premium he's going to get 15 15 he's going to be boring you get him at the end of every 50 round draft I was just yeah, they're good at that. Bad teams have fantasy relevant players. That's always yes. a motto. Like you can find them. You gotta <laughs> dig. You gotta dig deep sometimes, or you can find them. Yes, that that's for darn sure. Um, this the other player that you you mentioned here. This is gonna bring a lot of joy to Ryan's face. So who <laughs> who is this pitcher that uh, you're much higher on now? Yeah. So uh, Braxton Garrett is another guy that I covered for first impressions back in 2022, and I remembered you know seeing some things even then that I liked that. Uh, uh, and I wrote him up again for facts flukes in spring of 2023. Um, so kind of had him, you know, in the back of my mind as a, a young arm with some potential upside. And so when I got to his box, uh, I was coming at it from that perspective, from that mindset of, of looking for that. And um, there was, uh, there was some, concerns especially in the second half some drop off in his performance um i went and looked you know at uh uh some of his um uh, pitch mix data looking at the the strikeout rates for individual pitches just trying to see if like was it a, a perhaps a new pitch that lost effectiveness something like that it was pretty consistent across the board and so that made me feel like okay this is a a still young pitcher, I mean, 25 this year, 26 next year, who, uh, you know, surpassed his previous career high in innings pitched. And it seems like the most likely explanation for that, that second half drop off, um, is just simple fatigue. And his, his, if you look at his 
skills from August and September. Um, he had an 18% uh, strikeout rate and an 8.5% swinging strikeout rate, both of which were way down from where he was in the first half. He was at 28% strikeout rate and a 13.2 swinging strikeout rate. So it just all kind of seemed to track with that idea of it being fatigue related. And so um, I felt like, you know, that's not uncommon for a pitcher in, in, at his age and his in his stage of development. And so I felt pretty confident giving him an upside label of, of a 315 ERA and 200 strikeouts for next year. That's pretty sweet. Quick follow-up on Garrett. Well, we, we mentioned this a lot. Or I believe Corbin mentioned this uh, on our show last night, but we kind of have, it's not a hard and fast rule, but in general, we like to cite stats that are in the box, keep the mm-hmm. reader's eyes in the box. And, and like you said, Brandon, kind of be the tour guide, guide him through it. I bend that rule a little bit with pitch mix. And yeah. Corbin mentioned this last night where, no, we don't have pitch usage on these boxes, but I feel like where there is a change in skill and then there is that change in pitch mix to either support it or, or go along with it. I, I feel like that's, and I, I say that to my writers as well. I feel like that's pretty much always worth mentioning. Yeah. I think it's, it's use it, uh, use it sparingly. Um, and just make sure it's a case where it really adds something where it to matters. the analysis. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. Well, as opposed to saying this guy has a slider fastball yeah. job. I mean, that doesn't, yeah. it's great for a scouting report, but for these boxes, we don't have the room to really, yeah. and, really do it. So, yeah. And sometimes, especially if like uh, a pitcher is added a new pitch, um, that could really shine a, new, a nice light on what's in the box and kind of give you a new perspective on it that mm-hmm. ties together really nicely. So it's, yeah, that can be a, a good option in certain cases. All right. A little more negative side. So we talked about two guys that you, uh, yeah. guys that, you, that you were higher on. Who did you look at now that you went through the process and that you're like, eh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so Harold Ramirez was, was one guy for me, um, that, uh, you know, anytime you see a a big gap between batting average and expected batting average, that for me is an easy red flag because we, you know, that's one of our oldest skills. We have so much, uh, uh, data on that being pretty dependable and, you know, he's both in 2022 and 2023, he's got about a 40, 50 point gap between his, his surface stat and his skill. And that's, that's a little scary. Um, you know, it, uh, if he were to lose all of those hits, that's going to have an effect on, on base percentage, on his runs scored, on his RBI total. Um, and so, and then if you even, you look at his, uh, his again his platoon splits against left-handers where he's had the last two years uh his ops plus was 122 and then 130 uh even that was driven by a 43 percent hit rate which you're going to expect that to come down to earth uh and so just all of that combined makes him a pretty risky investment especially when he's you know been earning double digit value the last two years you look back at uh, 2021, when he was with Cleveland, uh, he hit 268 that year and was only worth $8. So, but you, you know, you don't want to put yourself in a situation where you're 
picking up this guy thinking, oh, he's going to be great for, you know, a 300 plus batting average and double digit value again and get the 2021 version instead. <laughs> and that yeah, was, and that run. was your downside label. So we just talked about slapping upside labels on guys, the UP at the end of a box. We also have the down, the DN. You know, yeah. Those downs. And so, yeah. yeah, you threw the downside of, uh, of that 2021 repeat for Harold Ramirez, which yeah. um, I could unfortunately see. The last guy that uh, you've kind of written down here that you're lower on, I'm, I'm pretty f- very interested in this because this guy's being drafted as a top five closer. And in the, the 2024 closer environment, that means you're spending a top 50 pick on Mr. Josh Hader. So, Brandon, what did uh, you see in Hader's box to, uh, to kind of give you cold feet, probably at that yeah. price? Yeah, I mean, and I do want to, I want to uh, put it in that context that, it by I'm by no means say that you should avoid Josh Hader altogether. Just sure. these are reasons to be a little a little concerned about him, maybe a little uh, hesitant to to uh, spend you know big dollars on him. Uh, you know he's a guy who's taken his fantasy managers for a, a bit of a roller coaster ride over the last three seasons. He had a 123 ERA in 2021, then 522 in 2022, then back to 128 last year, um, and so. In cases like that, that's where it's it's really valuable to have expected ERA to look at. And when you look at that, um, you can see kind of a, a trend where he's been gradually declining. Uh, he was 254 in 2021, then 315, then 345. So 345 X ERA is still pretty good, um, but it's more about that that slide that we're seeing in the in that reflects you know some of the the slide in his in his in his skills overall. I mean, we're seeing a, a same you know similar trend in a decline trend in his uh, his strikeouts minus walk uh, percentage. Uh, we're seeing it um, in his BPX, um, and so when you see that those declines in a couple different areas like that, and especially as a player is entering his thirties, it's just it's maybe not a red flag, but it's, it's a, it's a yellow light, I guess you'd call it. Like we're just a reason to be a little cautious when you're, when you're valuing that player. Yeah. It makes a ton of sense. Like that's one of my thoughts on hater and others. And like, I'll do rankings and people go, why are you so low on so-and-so? I'm like, it's not personal. It's not against no. him. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, you know, regression comes eventually. And here's, yeah. there's a few signs and he still could be very good. He's just not what he used to be like some people have a a very difficult time like i'll send ryan you know pictures of comments i get on certain things just like laughing like check this one out this is fun and it's just just yeah it it makes me laugh so i understand exactly what you're talking about with josh Hader because i have similar concerns as well so 100 there any final thoughts ryan for brandon before we we wrap this up it's been a pleasure getting to, to to meet you and chat with you today it's uh Great to, to have the wisdom. And, you know, honestly, it's great to have someone that's put Ryan in his place and kind of put him where he is in this in this business. So it's been fun. Funny guy, Bubba. Um, no, this was an absolute treat. This was an yeah. absolute treat. So appreciate yeah. it, Brandon. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you guys having me on. It was uh, it was fun to talk about the process and fun to talk about some players. And, la- and last but not least, trivia question. Um, I guess you know the answer, so it's not really a trivia question. But how long has it been since your last podcast episode? <laughs> so uh, I was talking about this with Ryan last week that 
I used to do, uh, I think we called it the metric minute, uh, metric minute yep. for HQ radio, uh, where we would pick a skill and I would, I've just recorded on my own. I would, so I'd give like the, the definition of the skill, the formula, talk about some examples and then, uh, you know, mention a few players from that season where, uh, it showed like, if you're talking about expected batting average, someone who's, uh, uh, the skills were better than the surface stats. Another guy who's where the the surface stats are above the skills, and then send it off to Patrick. So just a you know just a little minute reporting. That was probably at least twelve years ago. Um, so it's, awesome. it's been a while. Twelve years between pods. I, I think that that might be <laughs> might be might record, record breaking. Might be a record might record a for me for sure. Year. I guarantee you that much. So. <laughs> no, it, glad uh, we could glad we could stop the streak. It, this yes. was this was awesome, man. Yeah, but thanks for thanks for joining us. And for those that don't know, he's on Twitter at BP Cruz, K R U S E. And uh, Brandon, thanks for joining us, man. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. All right, Ryan, we'll wrap it up there. Make sure y'all check out Ryan on Twitter at Ryan BHQ, the podcast at Bubba Bloom Pod. I'm at BD Entrick, and this wraps up our part two of the Baseball HQ Forecaster on Bubba and the Bloom, episode ninety one. Catch y'all next time. Mm-hmm.